have been able to keep busy, which I think is the, the blessing of it all. Um, you know, I'm get, starting to get a little restless. Uh, I think for one thing, like, um, for me, like the travel, the lack of travel, I should say, is is jarring. You know, I don't think I've been home for so long. And um, um, so I, uh, yeah, but I mean, I've been able to keep busy and keep creative, which is great. I, it's funny, I've written a lot of songs. And the one thing that the pandemic's taken away from me, it's sort of like, you know, when, when people get COVID, they get taken the sense of smell and taste goes away. I haven't gotten COVID, but I've, I've lost my sort of ability to look at something and tell whether it's good or not. So I have all these songs and like, I'm going to at some point have to look at them and be like, no, that one's not any good. But like sort of with the lack of my day to day, um, I've lost that sort of sense of like, yeah, this one's worth pursuing further or whatnot. So Right now, I've just got a huge stack of stuff. I mean, are you somebody who generally needs to bounce an idea off of someone? Do you need external validation most of the time? You know, sometimes, but I think sometimes I just get to the point where I'm like, I like this and I'm, I, I, I think this is good. Um, and I do sort of have this process of punching the clock and putting stuff down on paper and then going back and um, looking at it and saying like, okay, I've got all this stuff. These are the, you know, these are the 40% of things that I think are better than the others. And I'm going to keep working on these. That second part is, is, is where the problem comes um, in the past year. But, you know, I've talked to other people who aren't doing anything or are finding it hard to do anything. So I think at some point this will come back and I'll, I'll be able to. um, And also, I mean, you can always, as you say, you can always turn it over to someone else and say like, what, what's good? What sucks? I just keep thinking about all the art that's going to come out in a year or two. That's just going to, it's all going to be about COVID. Like mm-hmm. once people have actually processed this, as I mentioned before, I, I've talked to you a, a few times over the years. And one of the things that I think maybe the first time we spoke that really stuck with me is, is you discussing the needing to have some distance between you and the subject matter. Obviously mm-hmm. that's a big part of the whole steady songs, right? You're yeah, drawing yeah. from all this Minneapolis stuff, but do you find that the current situation is seeping into your work? Not so much, to be honest, probably because I always have that distance of looking a little bit back. I felt the same way as you. I've sort of like the first time I see on TV, two people, you know, kiss through masks. I'm going to throw a brick at the TV. The one thing is, I mean, certainly like with this new record, it's weird in that, like, you know, we wrote it all in 2019 and I thought that was dark times, right? Like I thought like it was so heavy and we made this heavy record and then you know, a lot of it, which concerned mental health and things like that. So then 2020 comes and it kind of like just blows up. But I also feel like everyone's going to be saying that about their own pieces of art, you know, like, well, 2020 just magnified it, you know, but I, I am also saying it because I think that's, you know, 2020 didn't, it didn't, it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't, a, it, we kind of led up to it. Obviously the pandemic made everything blow up, you know, or, 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 you know, it, it made everything bigger in some ways. It put a microscope on things like income inequality and, um, you know, uh, and, and certainly mental health issues. But, you know, we were already close there. I mean, that that's sort of what I'm saying about 2019 felt pretty heavy at the time. You're not singing about Trump, obviously, and, and you're not singing about COVID because uh, this was recorded before that. Can you point to sort of tangible examples of how these kind of like abstract shit that we're all dealing with has impacted at least like the themes or the mood? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I sort of like joke that if there was like a, you know, if there was like one, like, you know, when you see a movie 
poster there's always like a you know a tagline under the under the title and i sort of felt like it was like power wealth and mental health and a lot of people in the record are um i, I found when i you know some of it you go in writing about and then some of it kind of reveals itself to you a lot of people in, in um the, the record um i found it strangely discussed a lot of people's uh, occupations you know how, how they made money I think it talked about technology um, and how, you know, we use it and how we communicate in some ways. Uh, um, and it also talks a lot about mental health, um, which is, you know, something as I get older, I think becomes more and more of my work, you know, less about, you know, partying or uh, um, those kind of things, substances, highs and lows around that and, and straight mental health, because it's, that's sort of where it leads. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think like that's one of the things that, very scared of because of, um, you know, to be honest, because of people around me having kind of slipped away in some way, one way or the other. And that's, that's like, that's a terrifying thing to watch. So I think that's really captured my interest about people who are, you know, struggling in that way. But, you know, like the, the, the um, title track and not the title track, I mean, open door policy, the title comes from a song called the prior procedure, which is sort of about people who take um, shelter in a, um, a situation that is, you know, created by a really rich guy, maybe a billionaire. And he has a place where he takes people in, but it's sort of on his terms. And I think that's sort of, that's kind of like a very modern thing, you know, like, like we give, you know, in a, the political sense would be, we give a lot of tax breaks to people so they can, but then they give back through a charity, which is totally on their terms, you know? So I think that that's kind of a, one of the examples of a modern, a modern thing that that's common in the record, but I, you know, I'm never going to write a song that's, you know, fuck Trump that, you know, I, I always say like, I'd rather make an Ang Lee movie than an Oliver Stone movie. And, um, you know, so I think these are stories, a lot of these stories about people who are affected by um, policies and who are struggling and who are, um, you know, at some point, I think I be kind of changed. Um, and it might've been when I started making the most recent solo records in 2015, started becoming interested a lot more in people, not necessarily people who made bad decisions, but people who tried to make the right decisions and still, you know, came up short. People making bad decisions has been a theme in your music for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. that, that's nothing new. The, the connection between mental health and, and partying is an interesting one. Obviously, it's not that these people who are drinking and doing drugs and partying in these songs aren't struggling with those issues. It's just that they've chosen this specific set of tools as a way to deal with them. And then when you get older, if you're lucky and you survive and you move away from that a little bit, then you actually have to start paying direct attention to those ideas. And also, you know, the, the people I'm in, the people I'm interested in writing about have grown up a little bit, you know, they're, they're, they are boys and girls in America had a lot of 19 year olds on it. And this record doesn't, I, there was something of, Someone on social media posted, it was like, you know, if you gave yourself advice, what would, what advice would you give to someone in their twenties? And this person said, get your chemicals in order because once you turn 30, it's going to get different. And I think that's really true. I mean, I think that, you know, you can, uh, there's a part, there's an age or something or a part where it becomes more of a mental health thing than it, it becomes, uh, you know, a party thing. And I think that that's where I'm at with the writing on it anyways. It sounds like the way you're describing how it manifests itself on this record, that it's more observational, that these are based on you having seen these things in, in other people. 
Yeah, always. And I think everyone in our, you know, modern society has seen these, you know, these kind of things happen. It's, it's, you know, it's certainly reflected that way in the news, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, there's a certain amount of desperation um, that comes through that isn't necessarily desperation um, in, in the sense of an action movie. It's, it's more of a, you know, quiet desperation that, that that's kind of um, become more interesting to me, I guess. COVID is kind of the ultimate example of turning off external stimuli and, and having to deal with the thoughts in your head. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I not to be super morbid, but I, at the end of 2020, I, I made a list of everyone I knew who died. And that's not mostly from COVID, you know? You sat down and yeah, was just like yeah. over the course of your life or in 2020? In 2020. And there were 20 names. And, you know, many of those were people's parents who died from other things, you know, just, but there was just, it, regardless, it was a lot of death, too much death. And that's, that's, you know, that's, that's a heavy thing. And that's, that's the world we're living in right now. Is it something that you've struggled with directly? Well, yeah, I mean, in the sense, I mean, the COVID thing was interesting for me. Um, My partner's a nurse. So in April, May, I moved out of the house because she started treating COVID patients. And, um, and I moved into a family member's house and because our apartment just didn't have enough separation. So like that, you know, that felt crisis. Um, that felt very um, like we were in heavy times, right? And uh, and then I got a bit of a lift when when she when the cases got under control here, and she went back to her old job, still a nurse, but a different um, you know a different unit, and um, emotionally definitely went up there. Um, but so but but yeah, but at the end of 2020, I sort of was taking a toll, a tally. And I realized what, what, you know, how, how this had happened. And, and it felt, um, you know, there's some part of this that's just being, I'm almost 50 years old. You get older, your, your friend's parents get older, that, that stuff happens. But it also just felt like it was a particularly, um, you know, heavy year and, and maybe important to remind, you know, this idea of self-care or whatever, to remind yourself that like, as I can sit here at my computer and at my desk and get really angry that I didn't, you know, write enough or do enough work in a day. But you kind of, I think, have to forgive yourself sometimes for that. I was dealing with some also health issues at the time. And I'm actually, I'm in Queens. I was here when shit was yeah. really bad in, you know, late, late March, early April. And, you know, and I, I was dealing with uh, certainly a lot of depression through it. I mean, I think everybody was to some degree. And are, are you familiar with the, the concept of anhedonia? No, what's that? It's sort of a, a symptom of depression where basically you're unable to derive pleasure from making or listening or, or, or uh, consuming art. Oh, wow. Just as a side note, you'd probably appreciate this. It was the working title of Annie Hall. It was actually originally called <laughs> Anadonia. It's a very different movie. Cool. I've definitely seen my own relationship to music specifically change over the course of this. You know, there I wasn't able to listen to it at all. And I started listening to some sort of like ambient music and kind of worked my way back up to it. And I'm curious, like how your own relationship to both listening to and making music has changed over the past year. Listening to music, I I was with you. Maybe I had the same, you know, some of the same symptoms because, you know, mental health was definitely, you know, like exercise is a big part of sort of how I deal with mental health. And I sort of feel like a fog, you know, comes over my head and um, I can kind of run it off a little bit, you know, or, or even walk it off. 
during COVID with masks and everything, you know, there was, there was at least at the start, some reluctance to be outside and, and pursue that. And, you know, certainly haven't gone to the gym or anything. So there's that I music listening in 2020 was really um, different for me. I actually also listened to some ambient music. I didn't love, like, I didn't, I didn't just, I, I, I didn't really have, the occasion to listen to music. I don't, you know, I, I listen to a lot of music walking around and um, in my daily travels on headphones and that wasn't happening. And um, I started listening to the radio more just because it was passive. I didn't have to think, you know, I didn't have to say like, Oh, what do I want to listen to? It's, you just turn it on. And so that was actually kind of good that, that, and that's kept me company a little bit. I'm not really big on lists, top tens, that kind of thing anyways. Like I, I don't do those, but I, I wouldn't have been able to put up a top five last year, you know, and, you know, um, things like I listened to a lot, like more like Brian, you know, music for airports, you know, uh, talk, talk. I listen to that a lot, you know, things that just kind of envelop you and don't require that much focus. I was listening to an interview that you did a couple of years ago and you'd mentioned to somebody that part of your process in touring is just sort of like taking some time to yourself and walking off, which mm. I can totally appreciate. I mean, I, I love, I actually love traveling by myself. It's great mm. to just explore a new place. Do you get the sense that you're kind of prone to introversion though? Yeah. I mean, I always have been, I, that's always been a thing. I like, I like going to things alone. I like traveling alone. I like uh, going to movies alone, <laughs> going to shows alone. I, I, I really do that. Um, I get, I get to, I, I, I found it And New York's a great place for this. I like being alone with other people around, like with strangers around, you know, I like, I can really concentrate on my book. If I'm reading in a crowded cafe, um, you get me in like, like, you know, a quiet library in a university. I can't think, you know, like, like I need a little bit of, um, white noise or whatever. So I really enjoy that. I mean, one of my favorite things of the past few years is, I did a European tour solo with Brian Fallon. And um, then we had some hold steady shows in London and I could have either come home for six days or killed six days in Europe. So I went to Lisbon by myself and it was like one of the, I mean, I, I love, you know, I love my friends. I love my girlfriend, but you know, being alone in a, in a foreign city for, for best part of a week was like one of the most, the greatest things ever. I really do that. I get a lot of good thoughts. And I think moving past things, you know, even signs or um, neighborhoods you aren't familiar with getting a little bit lost, I think is really good for creative process, at least mine. Do you find that, that as you progress that you're going more out of your way to actively cultivate that, that you're actually out there sort of like seeking inspiration from these things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, Jeff Tweedy uh, wrote not the book about the songs, but that, you know, I think it was like more his biography kind of um, autobiography memoir, but it kind of talked a lot about creativity too. And there was thing, parts of that that I thought were really spot on, really matched what I think. And I think that um, he was talking about kind of making an appointment for yourself to take things in. And, um, you know, I think that um, that's really important. And that may be like, you know, watching a film or reading a book, but also just walking around and walking around. Um, you know, I think you get numb to your own neighborhood a little bit, you know, or, you know, things you're used to seeing. So, and New York's great for that. Cause you could say like, 
I'm going to Brighton beach today and walk around. And that's like, um, you know, that's something that's going to be maybe not your normal thing. You might see something out there that, that stimulates, but, uh, and you know, on the, I also saw something recently that Pat, Patty Smith said about like, if she's not writing, like she doesn't necessarily beat herself up about not writing, but she might read a, instead of writing, read a book of someone who she admires so then she's kind of thinking about writing and that's, you know, helping her in the long run too. And I think that's very astute as well. I write for a living, but I, I don't really like reading people writing specifically, well, certainly not like how to write books. I don't find those particularly useful, but I do find it really useful to hear people discuss the creative process, you know, mm-hmm. to sort of like discuss it in a bit more of an indirect way than that. I agree. Like I, the how to and, you know, analyzing everything like, like, you know, the like, especially with songwriting, it's just like really tough for me, but having someone say, you know, like I love, you know, Nick Cave's a favorite artist, but he talks about creativity very well. You know, he had this thing about, you know, he takes lines and sees how they vibrate against each other. I'm like that, that, that right there. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Like I, I can get that, but you know, the second they start talking about meter and rhymes and hard rhymes and slant rhymes, I'm like, fuck this. You know, I can't, I can't do this. One of the things I also do, I heard you uh, quote Joan Didion about the, about the writing process, um, about not really knowing where you're going, right. Of, of just sort of like sitting down and just starting the process of writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think then that's when you make an album, that's very, uh, uh, that's a very much a part of it because, you know, if you write say 20 songs and you throw out 10, so you've got 10 now, it, it, almost every time it's like, wow, I was writing a lot about that, you know, and it might be something, a theme, it might be like death or it might be love or whatever, but it also might just be like, weird that parking lots keep showing up in the song these songs you know and you're like why why you know some specific detail that you keep going back on that may be because it rhymes with something but it also is like what am i thinking about parking lots and why why does this well you know why does this keep showing up it's funny that you mentioned that specifically because i'm either going to be the first person to mention this to you or the ten thousandth person to mention this to you and it's just because it's one of those phrases that really hits your ear is frontage road yeah i mean that's that's a midwestern thing frontage roads but i you know i almost my friend and i always uh my very good friend eddie we talk a lot about uh we had this kind of idea about frontage road rock like you know rock that kind of happens so frontage road being sort of like parallel to kind of the main yeah it would be like a service road or a frontage road you know i mean um and certainly at least where i grew up in the midwest but i think a lot of places you know sort of have a type of business you know you might have car lots but you might have a a tavern um but it wouldn't be like a real hip place probably in the way that like certain neighborhoods pop up around airports for example yeah yeah exactly and you know in in minneapolis there was a there was uh going to the airport there's the 494 strip which now i don't i don't know but like back in like the 70s it actually was kind of some swinging kind of 70s places on that so maybe that's where it got in my head um you know, like the, the Minnesota Vikings would party uh, along the 494 strip there. Um, but it's, yeah, it's frontage roads, it's Shakey's Pizza and it's uh, car dealerships and it's uh, the ground round or whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's um, somewhere where you, uh, 
it's it's not it's 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 every day i guess is what i think part of the reason why it hits the ear is because one it's not a phrase that you hear a lot in music generally and two was it separation sunday one of your albums like has a couple of mentions of it so it was just it was an interesting it was interesting to hear you come back to it and i'm wondering if that is something that you're conscious of when you're writing sometimes i mean uh front and throat is something that just i think is part of my midwestern and suburban vocabulary and i picture things the kind of stories i tell often and the people i talk about you know front and throats are in their lives but there is definitely like sometimes where you're like uh there's there's kind of callbacks that are very intentional and they're also just language i mean i think that one thing uh, the, the first psychedelic furs record i really love and he says stupid the word stupid like he must say it like 17 times on that record so you kind of get into this thing where you're kind of saying it and it becomes a little bit of a, this this lexicon or language that you're speaking with the audience that people um appreciate i guess in a sense you will always be midwestern but it has has living in New York for, I mean, it's, it's probably been close to like 20 years at this point for you, I, w- I would guess. Yeah. Has that had a, a profound impact on your writing? I can't tell you exactly how. Um, I, and it has been, I've been, lived in New York for 20 years now. What I would say is all the travel I've done since the whole study started because of all the touring has made me, um, has I, I guess made me less, um, I'm really interested in geography and spots, you know, but I, I guess I'm, I think that um, I understand the world to maybe be a bigger place. And um, I think that it's harder and harder, as especially within the U.S., to find the unique spots in a city, right? I mean, I think we've kind of got the same stuff everywhere, right? You know, and, um, you know, when people say how did you like Kansas city? You know? And it's like, it's, you know, it's it's what I'm used to. (laughs) Here's the subtle way that the pizza is different. Yeah. Yeah. The potato chips and the beer are different. You know, a lot of things, those, those are, those those are kind of the things, potato chips and beer that really regionally differ. And then maybe you go to Cincinnati and get chili on your pasta. Yeah. There's there, but you know, but there's Petco and home Depot everywhere you know and 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 oftentimes together was lifter puller still a going concern when you came out to new york no lifter puller broke up and um broken up and um i guess i was sort of looking minneapolis had started to feel a little bit small and i thought that new york might have some opportunity although i wasn't sure what it was and you know it was a bigger city i was i was interested in that i did think that new york had a creative class of people that would be, you know, um, when I decided what I was going to do, I could do it there. Meaning with your life. Yeah. And, and, and there's just sort of was a, a, a seriousness about being an artist or being creative where, you know, if you made an appointment and, you know, this is not a knock on Minneapolis and this may have been the people I was hanging out with, but like, you know, things wouldn't necessarily start on time or, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd go, You'd, you'd say like, when do you want to meet? Well, let's figure it out tomorrow. You know, and I do think what I found what I was correct is that, you know, the people I met in New York, when you want to do something, they show up on time and, and they're prepared. And there is a, um, a sense purpose. I, one of the things I think that is non-geographical that I was dealing with was that I think I was, I never went to art school or anything. I was, I don't know that I identified as an artist until later in my life. Um, you know, I had a job and many, I, I wanted to be in a band. I was in a band, but like, I didn't um, 
fully understand it as a life until, you know, um, maybe in my later 20s. And so I think some of that was me getting used to it. But I thought New York was uh, a place where there was more opportunity and turned out there was. What does it mean to identify as an artist? Well, you know, I think that you're, you're kind of trying to create the world that you're living in, right? You're trying to, you're trying to create something that reflects how you want to see things or how you see things. I mean, one of the things my my girlfriend has said to me recently is that like, if you're not an artist, you're subject to be, be way more of a consumer because, you know, instead of trying to create the world you're living in, you're going to try to acquire the world you're living in. So I think that, that in this day and age, being an artist is coming down on the other side of that in some way to sort of create rather than to consume, or at least have some balance in there. Creatively, you identify yourself with, uh, or you identify with, uh, I don't know, like anti-heroes, or at least, you know, people who are like often down on their luck. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean that that's the world that you want to build? Well, I think I want to find peace and comfort for people. And, um, you know, that was always an interest to me, even as a young Catholic, you know, Jesus with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all that. I think that there was, in different parts of my life, it took on different things. I mean, in fact, you know, I I think, I always think of this one when I was real young, I think it was Ray Charles was on on Sesame Street. Ray Charles was on something when I was young and I'd been watching Happy Days and I knew Fonzie was cool, right? Like he's cool. He wore this leather jacket. And I remember saying, you know, mom, is that guy cool? And she said, Ray Charles. Yeah, he's cool. You know? And I said, mom, do we know anyone cool? And she said, no. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember being like, what the hell? How this is a, you know, this is a ripoff. We don't know anyone cool. So I think in some ways there was a search through that world, um, going to shows, going to parties in that different parts of town, et cetera. Maybe a search when I was younger for authenticity in some way, um, a search for a non-suburban feeling. Um, uh, you know, somewhat pushing the edges of safety or boundaries. Um, but now I think it's, it's, it's more of compassion and empathy um, from where I'm at now. There's always been a, an earnest quality to a lot of what you do, you know, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why you get compared to like Springsteen a lot. And I think part of the reason why it's unique is because in some ways it seems to sort of run counter to some of maybe kind of like the punk at the time, right? I mean, in that, like, obviously there are earnest ideals in and around punk rock, but people are afraid of sort of wearing their heart on their sleeve too much or writing cliches. Are these two ideas that were ever difficult for you to reconcile? I think that one thing I found, especially when we started to hold steady and started in my writing is that honesty can be, um, it's very disarming to people, you know, like the real honest, but it's also, um, maybe a salve against anxiety. You know, I mean, like, like, I I wonder if I always wonder, like, you know, like, like, like whatever we're keeping up, you know, right. And there's some sort of, um, I remember, you know, even being like, so upfront about really kind of digging into the Minneapolis thing, even though we started the whole study of living in New York for four years or a few years was partially because I saw so many people around me, people I knew who'd moved from the Midwest and kind of reinvented themselves, you know? And I thought that there was, there was a power. There is a power in saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm from Minneapolis. I'm from the Midwest. Um, my hairline is pretty receding. Um, 
I'm, you know, I weigh this much. This is how much money I have in my bank account right now. But there's no, there's nothing that they can take away from you then if you're just that honest, you know? And I, I found a power in that. And I found that people um, reacted to that and maybe relaxed and um, maybe felt better about themselves through that process. And I think that was kind of reflected in the songs and the art. I wonder if part of the power in those first two records, the first two Hold Steady records was that I get the sense that you, the group of you guys didn't go into it with any sort of expectations of like becoming huge rock stars, right? You were, you know, you're in your thirties at the time, not that like there aren't rock stars in their thirties, but like there, there wasn't an expectation that you were going to be the strokes. It was, it was absolutely that. I mean, the, I mean, the, the expectations from the whole steady at the, especially on the first record were almost laughable. I mean, they, they read like a joke. Like we were literally when we started the band in a discussion on whether we were even going to play shows. Cause we decided that, you know, from lifter puller, the one thing I didn't like was moving gear. So like, if we don't move our gear, we, you know, then, then it'd be fun. And we weren't, you know, recording, putting out records were really not what we set out to do. And in that sense, it was really fun. And I think that what happened, especially with Separation Sunday, as that got more press, is a lot of our audience came out and, you know, a lot of people kind of rooted, were rooting for us in that, you know, they were roughly our age. And, you know, we'd get all these notes on our, you know, website through email that, people saying like, I haven't been to a show in four years, but me and the wife, you know, we're going to get a babysitter that night. We're going to come out and uh, thank you for doing this. And, you know, that was, so you felt like, you know, there was a sense that you were, people felt like they belonged or something and were a part of something. And, and that's, that's something we, in a weird way, once we started getting going and decided we were going to play shows, we set out to do, we wanted to create a band that people could kind of feel a part of. And in some ways, that's the most, that's the thing that blows me away about where we ended up is that we actually were able to do that, you know, because people really, there is a great community around the band still. When there is success around that, like second record, I guess would probably be the time you guys were on the cover of The Voice, you're getting noticed. Is that, how much does that change the math for the dynamic of the bands and the kind of the pressure to be successful? I mean, that that comes in little bits of waves. I mean, I think there was, there is, I mean, there's a few things. One is uh, when everyone, you know, every, there, there's always this thing of people that say, when did you get to quit your job? And it's like, you don't really get to quit your job. You become unemployable. You're touring and. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you just, there's this leap of faith. It's like, there's not a big mountain in your bank account. It's just like, if I keep playing shows, there's going to be a little bit of money in my pocket. I just can't stop playing shows. Um you know, you get a booking agent and that becomes more possible. I think, you know, um, that, that, that's, that was a thing. I think that one thing that changed, um, one thing to be honest is that that changed a little bit was dealing with um, sort of the way things were covered and, you know, you're a band, being in a band is, is one thing. It's all for one and one for all, but suddenly a lot of people want to talk to the lead singer. And um, that's, you know, something that, every band has to negotiate and some do better than others. And it, it definitely around then felt like, uh, and it, um, something I wouldn't say a challenge would be probably the, the best. it wasn't a struggle, but, um, it was something new. And then, you know, there's just the kind of things of, of being gone all the time and 
whether, you know, giving up some aspects of your normal life. I, I got divorced um, around separation Sunday and, you know, that w- it wasn't, it was both, you know, it, it wasn't helped by the fact that I was, uh, that I was, that I was leaving for nine months at a time. The vast majority of people in bands that I talk to tell me that to some degree it does need to be run kind of like a dictatorship and that like somebody needs to be a very clear leader. I mean, is, is obviously that is with your solo career, but is that also the case at all with the whole study? I don't think it's a dictatorship, but I think you're, I mean, I think what the people are telling you that is are, do hit on a really important thing, which is, you know, if you were an MBA student and you were studying like different types of organizations, a rock band is like the worst kind, because even a fraternity, the seniors tell the freshmen to clean up after the big beer party, a rock band, everyone's equal, but not everyone, you know, but like, but then there's like, you know, and so there's this de facto thing that starts to happen. And I think that that's a challenge that every band needs to to do. It's about communication, really, you know, I mean, I think I definitely uh, tend to probably put forth the most like, hey, I think we should do this. But it's important that everyone kind of buys in on their own way. And uh, a dictatorship is uh probably a good way to create resentment and whatnot. So I think, you know, it's like um, if you knew someone like was most susceptible band member to not wanting to do something, you might check with them first, right. You know, rather than put the pressure on them to say no in front of everyone, you know, but th- these are all things you learn. We're, we're 15, 16, 17 years into the hold steady. So, um, you know, I think we're a different, uh, different place for that. Um, but I, you know, I do think that one of the, uh, One of the things I believe is that, you know, um, that there does have to be like the ideas and everything have should have to come from the band. And then like, you know, your management or whoever you're working with has to help you further those ideas, you know, but the ideas still have to um, come with the band. I think a lot of that is something I've noticed people lose sight of. Is it just assumed that after every album and every tour that you're going to get back together and do this all over again? Well, we don't tour like we used to. I mean, we 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 do these um these residencies, which actually has just made the band in, uh, feel really alive. Um, because I think we aren't doing it in that way, where we go on, put out a record, and go on tour, and you know, totally exhaust ourselves, and then recover and try to figure out what to do next. So there's this kind of constant whatever, you know, we're at this point, you know, starting in two, 2016 when Franz came back, we're kind of always record always working on songs always kind of scheduling the next weekend of shows uh these residencies and um you know always kind of compiling music that we will at some point release however we decide to either you know one song at a time or as an album or whatever but i think we've kind of blessedly gotten out of that hamster wheel of um you know and and i think that this is the thing i mean so much has changed on the business end of how things are with, you know, Spotify and streaming and whatnot, that it's really silly to not change kind of how you do things. Um, And what, unfortunately, what you do find is that rock and roll, I think, especially there's a nostalgia to it. So some people are really like, you know, you know, you need to, you need to tour. I don't, you know, I don't like how you're doing things. I, I don't, I can't listen to it if it's not an album. I have to put on a CD in my, you know, in my man cave and listen to it this one way. And, you know, you can't, you can't, you got to sort of push forward. And that's one thing I think we've, uh, I believe we've done really well is sort of just adjust what we have 
to make more sense for us and keep it creative. And I think it's paid a lot of dividends. I think that that's, it's been, it's been really fun for the past few years. And um, I think that's when we're making our best music when it's fun. Part of the reason why I ask it is because I assume that every time there's a Craig Finn solo record, everyone's like, there's going to be another hold state record, right? You guys are still <laughs> the, first, like, the first time you release a solo record where people like the, the, the band, the band is still together. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, the solo records in part exist because I want to work constantly and not, you know, as with everyone else in different, some in different cities, some in different parts of their lives, there's kids, there's uh, uh, whatnot. I don't have any kids. I just want to pl- play music and I want to write music and work on creative stuff. So this allows me to do it. And it also allows me to scratch different, you know, itches. I mean, like the old steady's not going to do God in Chicago. Um, and so it allows me to kind of work in these different ways. That song specifically, why, why wouldn't the whole steady do that song? Well, I think it's, uh, it's very, it's pretty much a spoken piece. I think, um, you know, I think, uh, I just don't think it would be interesting to those guys to do something that was just, I mean, um, so much, um, I don't know, just, just not, not real rocking, not, you know, I mean, with the hold steady, I really just write the words. So, you know, I'm writing words to things that Tad or Steve or Franz bring in, and that's kind of how music comes out. So, um, yeah, I I understand why fans would think that because I'm a music fan and I would think the same thing, but I, I, I think it's, I also at some point think it's kind of unreasonable. 